You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam radio station. You're listening to myself, Samar and Osman Manan, and we will be with you, God willing, all the way up until 9 o'clock. So if you do have any questions, any remarks, any comments that you'd like to make, please feel free to do so. The number for you, as always, is 0208 687-7878 and of course you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK um, if you are familiar with the with the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam radio station you'll know that we usually begin our day with the, the, the weather with the uh, current affairs and then we get into our main segments for the day as well um, today as, uh, as we usually do on the Tuesday's breakfast show um, we're going to be speaking about three topics. The first segment is in regard regards to Taliban, uh, how they the, the further res, uh, restrictions they're putting further restrictions on women's rights uh, over there in Afghanistan. Um, in the second segment, we're going to be speaking about the UN urges uh, countries to help as Rohingya refugees arrive in Indonesia. Um, and last but not least, we are going to be discussing. Um, the United Nations Refugee Agency uh, and how they've urged countries on Tuesday to help uh, um, with this as well, the, the Rohingya Muslims. Um, and that is what we're going to be talking about. Um, uh, sorry, and in, in the last segment, actually, we're going to be going into a bit more detail uh, into another topic, um, how Paris shooting suspect driven by pathological hatred of foreigners. So that is going to be the last segment for the day. Remember, if you would like to get involved in, when, in any one of these discussions, please pick up the phone and give us a call. Remember, this is your radio station and we'd love for you to get involved. So do let us know what your thoughts are in this regard. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you. And of course, you can hit us up on our socials on Twitter and on Instagram at Voice of Islam UK. Um, before getting into these uh, these topics, uh, Usman, how are you doing today? Assalamualaikum, peace be on all of you. I'm good, Alhamdulillah, how are you? Very good, very good, by the grace of Allah the Almighty. Um, so let's get into the, uh, the the weather before before touching on the current affairs and the news. What's the, what's the weather looking like today? Yeah, so today will be a cloudy, wet and windy as a band of heavy rain moves northeastwards across the UK, turning drier for a time in the south, but another band of rain will move in from the west later on. And tonight, this evening, uh, another band of rain will quickly move eastwards across the UK. Clear spells will then develop behind, but heavy and blustery showers will move into Northern Ireland and West Scotland. So it's a rainy day uh, for all of us, and I think the rain already has started. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to rain throughout this week, actually. Oh. Um, so uh, tomorrow will be very windy with blustery showers in western areas as well. Wintry over the uh, hills to the north. Drier in the east, but uh, um, with bright spells, but turning we uh, wet later on. Um, Thursday will be less windy with some patchy rain in the south. Further showers for northern and western regions, but brighter to the east. Friday may bring further showers in the north and west, but drier and brighter in the south and east. Winds will strengthen again 
Saturday will be unsettled with another band of rain moving in from the southwest. Another windy day. Uh, the temperatures uh, on average this week will be so the low will be around two, three, four degrees, and uh, the <coughs> high around eleven, twelve. Um, however, it does say on Monday it might go all the way down to zero, so uh, it might be getting a li- little bit colder again. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, the, the weather's been uh, sort of kind of all over the place these days, isn't it? I mean, sometimes <coughs> there'll be, uh, I mean, not even sometimes, these days it's it's raining far more uh, often than usual, mm-hmm. um, even the last couple of weeks. And uh, for, for those who like rain, obviously that's a, <laughs> that, that's a great thing. But for, for those of us who maybe uh, aren't so keen on uh, getting wet uh, when we're going outside and walking <laughs> outside, I think maybe that's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, it, we, we, I mean, we just want to, uh, for it to get better now, isn't it? The weather to get a little bit better as well. Um, the yeah. newspaper headlines. So no way back, says Harry and hope of strike breakthrough. Um, many of the front pages are leading uh, with a reaction to Prince Harry's latest comments on his relationship with the royal um, family ahead of the release of his highly anticipated memoir, Spare. Excerpts of the autobiography were leaked last week before Tuesday's publication date. In his latest interview with US television, the Duke of Sussex ruled out moving back to the UK, saying, uh, quote-unquote, I don't think it's ever going to be possible. The Daily uh, Daily Mail reports sources uh, have suggested that Prince William is so hurt and angered by his brother's accusations that he has no appetite to speak to him, the paper adds. The interview also saw Harry cross his father's red line by calling his stepmother Camilla the Queen Consort dangerous, the Sun reports. The paper says he also scoffed at calls for him to lose his title of Duke. The claims presenting Prince Harry's views of events have so far not drawn a response from Buckingham Palace or Kensington Palace. The Daily Express says friends and former aides of King Charles describe the monarch as quote-unquote upset and saddened by Harry's latest criticism of his wife. Away from Prince Harry, the I newspaper reports on a potential breakthrough in the NHS pay dispute, a proposal to backdate next year's pay rise to this January could be enough to end strike action planned for later this month, the paper says. The Metro, uh, meanwhile, reports that Harry's uh, popularity among the British public has fallen to a record low. 64% of Brits now carry a negative view of him, according to a (coughs) YouGov poll. The Times focuses on the pressure currently facing the NHS, including reports uh, some uh, patients could be treated in temporary cabins in hospitals, in hospital car parks, to deal with uh, overcrowded A&E departments. Mr. Barclay has pledged £50 million to pay for temporary buildings to create extra space and has acknowledged that patients' recent experience uh, have uh, not been acceptable, the paper says. Mm. Away from Prince Harry, the Eye newspaper reports on a potential breakthrough in the NHS pay dispute, uh, a proposal to backdate uh, newspaper, uh, news, uh, next year's pay rise to this January could be enough to end strike action planned for later the month. And the Daily Star also reports that scientists have detected a solar blast as powerful as billion nuclear bombs, which could cause electricity blackouts.
The um, the uh, Daily Telegraph um, says that Britain is preparing to become the first country to send Western tanks to Ukraine. Uh, defense sources have said the UK could supply President Zelensky with Challenger 2, the British Army's main battle tank, to encourage other Western allies to follow suit and stop the war in Russia, according to what the paper has reported. And lastly, the Financial Times reports that London and Brussels have secured a breakthrough in the role over Northern Ireland's post-Brexit trading relations. The UK and EU issued a joint statement proclaiming uh, a tentative deal that would give Brussels access to the UK's IT systems for trade across the Irish Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll we'll go through maybe a few more um, uh, articles from within uh, BBC as well. But but before we do so, uh, Usman, was there any uh, one of these headlines that maybe caught your uh, attention? Uh, uh, and, yeah. and also, whilst whilst we're talking about that as well, what what do you think about all of this? Um, the the leaks that have come out from President um, uh, Prince Harry's uh, uh, autobiography as well. Yeah, it's um, it's surprising. Um, uh, because you you know you don't see this uh, every day, and it's a uh, huge accusations or even the truth. Uh, I'm not picking a side here because mm-hmm. I don't have the information, so I I I like to stay neutral. But I'm following along a little bit, but I don't uh, have too much information yet. Uh, however, I am pleased to know about this uh, pay rise um, for the NHS. Mm. Um, that they're pushing this forward to this January instead of next year's. So that's that's good news. I actually went to the hospital a few days ago. Okay. Uh, actually, last week, and I spoke to one of the nurses who was treating me, and mm-hmm. I asked her how how do you feel about these strikes and uh, the pay, and she said, you know, it's like it's the only thing we can do. Yeah. Like we we were also struggling just like everyone else, and uh, um, I think on that day it, it was a strike day as well, and. Oh really? So some nurses and doctors they're not allowed to go to the strikes, so they have turns. Mm-hmm. So uh, she was saying that today I I can't go, otherwise I would have gone. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so even though there's strikes going on, some of them are restricted to go to the strikes, otherwise the whole system will break down. Yeah, and also I read a, um, a headline as well that uh, the the NHS staff, uh, the nurses and doctors. They, they, it's um, the the mental capacity of of those is similar to after the the Second World War. So, uh, uh, because yeah. of all of the burden, because of all of the backlog, because of all of the patients coming in, uh, we've heard so many uh, newspaper uh, news articles on uh, um, how there's not enough beds. Um, in in the NHS as well, so, so much mm-hmm. is being done to to better the situation over there as well, um, and because of all of this, uh, um, all of the people coming in into the hospitals, in into the A and E, and also within the actual main hospitals as well, um, their, their 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 mental state is similar to that of uh, of the nurses and of the doctors back from uh, after the, uh, the the World War, the Second World War. Um, and it just goes to show how difficult um, it is to to be in the the, the public yeah. sector, um, the public uh, um, uh, sector when it comes to the health services as well. And that's why it's uh, it's essential for any help or any aid that can be taken uh, to better the situation, to better the circumstances for those working in that sector. Um, of course, should be uh, taken up um, uh, wholeheartedly. 
Yeah, that's that's a shocking stat if it's if it's completely true. Yeah. Because imagine after a world uh, world war, even during the world war. Yeah. It's it's like you it affects you. Yeah, no, no, for exactly. a long long term. Exactly. So if this is the case with our NHS as well, then mm. maybe it could have a long lasting damage which we haven't seen yet. Yeah. I mean and it uh, obviously it's it's not you can't blame any one specific thing isn't mm-hmm. it but yeah. it's, uh, it's it's all because of uh, covid and and all of these other strape as well um and it's just a lot going on and because of that so many people are going into the hospitals um and that's why even gps are taking up more of a of a of a role uh, these days as well or well, for the last couple of years now but uh, yeah. but yeah no no our prayers and uh, um, go out to all of those who are working uh, within the sector as well and and, and risking their lives and helping um, uh, to 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 make the country a better and safer place. Um, of course, in return, something needs to be done to aid them as well. Um, yeah. And this is exactly what Islam teaches us as well, isn't it? That whenever, um, uh, whatever we do, right, there, 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 there always needs to be some sort of a reward for that. And even yeah. if we don't see the reward within this world, um, of course, we believe in the hereafter as Muslims. And uh, we believe that uh, most certainly the, the reward will be um, attained and received uh, within uh, that uh, duration as well. Um, yeah, you know, this yes. uh, concept of reward, it's very, very important because if you take this out of the equation, you see that in this world, there's, if if you like, if you are a king or if you are the leader of a country and mm-hmm. you are terrorizing the people, there will be no judgment for you. There will be no compensation for the damage you've done. Yeah. Okay. This is why the, the belief, you have to believe in a hereafter. You have to believe in a punishment or reward system mm-hmm. after this life. Because in this life, people can get away with it. This is why we believe that Allah the Almighty is the ultimate judge. And after we die, we will go to him. And those who, who go away in this court of the world, mm-hmm. they will be punished in, in God's court. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, it, it, this reminds me of an incident uh, back at the time of our noble master, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he even said to, when when two people were arguing and they came to him for judgment um, mm. and to, to, to seek counsel and to seek guidance, um, he said that because of the way that you talk, you might be able to sway me in one direction. Yeah. Um, and I may, I'm, I, it, it is possible that I might make a decision which is not uh, the, 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 the right decision. Yeah. Uh, because of the way that you're talking to me and the, mm-hmm. because of the facts that you're presenting to me. Um, but know that if I if I give a, a, a wrong judgment now, then in the hereafter, God Almighty will, will give the correct judgment uh, and the correct uh, punishment or reward, whatever it may be. Um, and so this is something that we definitely t- need to remember that even um, sometimes you'll see that people will get away with so many things. And uh, um, uh, an individual might think that, well, how are they getting away with so much? They're doing such and such fraud or doing, they're doing such and such ill or committing such a, such a vice, right? Yeah. But, uh, but uh, that is a very short-lived thing. And even if they are getting away with it in this uh, life, most certainly God Almighty will, uh, will, uh, will ask them and they will be accountable for, for anything that they do uh, in the hereafter as well. Definitely. Uh, you mentioned in regards to the pay rise, um, and that, that is uh, obviously a very crucial thing, um, as we can see that the energy bill uh, support of the firms fear worst to come. 
Um, and we, we've seen this for the last couple of mon- months now. Soaring energy prices have left households and businesses worried in recent months, uh, with the government announcing an extension to support uh, an offer for firms. But the new scheme for companies, charities, schools and hospitals will be much less generous than the previous one. It will see firms get a discount on wholesale prices rather than be uh, costs being capped as under the current scheme from April. Uh, they will only benefit excuse me they will only benefit from uh, w- when costs are high prompting some business uh, lobby groups to call for further assistance so we asked business uh, bbc says that they they've asked businesses across the country how the new government plans will affect them um and they're saying that it will get worse before it gets better uh, despite swerving some price rises through careful forward planning um, for their businesses, uh, some people feel as if the worst is uh, over already. And um, they're saying that uh, uh, giving their own uh, incidents as well. For instance, there's uh, Sarah Curtis, uh, who keeps a boat keeping yard. Uh, which she's been running for 17 years in Ipswich. She says she uses heavy machinery in their repair workshop um, and those who store their boats on site often use dehumidifiers and heaters too. Um, And and of course, because of that, it it is uh, uh, challenging to to keep uh, all of uh, everything afloat as well. Um, And they're not seeing changes in bills just yet. And that is what is um, sparking controversy. (coughs) And that's why it's so difficult for for everyone to to look after and pay for their bills uh, etc as well yeah i think the thing you mentioned about the nhs uh, the mental state i actually found another article here that uh, it's a, it's an uh, anonymous um worker at the nhs who who came out to the bbc but he doesn't want to mention his name he says the job is crushingly depressing stressful and embarrassing i feel so destroyed <coughs> The feeling of saving lives has been taken over by how many can we not kill. I never thought I would leave the NHS, but I would take a job at Aldi. I would take a cleaning job instead of this. Wow. So he's saying the, the the situation right now, especially in this winter, is like they they feel so like depressed that they first of all they can't help people mm. because uh, because of the strikes as well and because yeah. of the uh, just the, all, all the backlog. Uh, but on top of that, the job itself is very stressful and he feels like embarrassed, he says. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult state uh, and that's why uh, we we were urging as well that something <clears throat> needs to be done to, to better the situation of those uh, working within the sector um, and uh, literally say they're um, uh, putting their lives on, on the line as well, isn't it? Especially mm-hmm. during COVID, uh, we saw how much um, these uh, uh, um, the NHS staff and the workers were were doing, and so obviously they need to be rewarded for that as well. Um, one last bit of news before we go on to our first segment for the day. Um, primary schools uh, across uh, Scotland are closed all day as teachers walk out in a dispute over pay. 
Um, so last-ditch talks between unions and Scottish government officials held on Monday failed to prevent strike action. Further walkouts will take place at Scottish secondary schools on Wednesday. The Educational Institute of Scotland, uh, the EIS, said it will still uh, uh, it was still hoping for a resolution before more strikes go ahead next week. The strikes involve members of the IES, NASUWT, Scottish Secondary Teachers Association and the Association of Head Teachers and Deputes Union, the AHDS. Uh, D, uh, AHDS yes. they, they've rejected a 5% pay increase, arguing for 10%. And the latest offer includes rises of up to 6.85% for the lowest paid staff. The strikes are set to close almost every school in Scotland. Um, uh, Osman, as you were saying as well in regards to the strikes for within the hospitals uh, a, couple, a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. um, on top of that, in, uh, the, the, in December, um, we saw so many strikes. Yeah. Um, whether it was in regards to um, the, the, the NHS, whether it was the Royal Mail, whether it was um, um, driving um, instructor um, uh, examiners, so many mm. other uh, other people as well, uh, and not just people, but categories of people were, were striking as well. I think it would be um, beneficial for our listeners if they understand what Islam teaches us in regards to strikes. Is this something which is permissible? Is this something which is uh, allowed? What does Islam teach us about this? I mean, to me, it's also a bit of common sense that if you see nurses, uh, (coughs) teachers, the Royal Mail dispatchers, if they all go on strike, then who's going to run the country? Yeah. You know, it's not just... uh, affecting those people who they're not taking a day off from job like if a nurse doesn't come in yeah. it it's not a day off for her it's like hundreds of patients are going to suffer maybe because of that consequence mm. so they are not wrong in the, either but the way the way they're striking i think this is not acceptable because they're causing a a damage um they're causing damage mm. instead of fixing a problem yeah. Even if it does get you to the solution, but it's I, I would say it's the wrong way of doing it. Yes, they have a right to say um, they have to write demand. They have the right to demand uh, a higher pay. They yeah. have the right to you know get their voice out, but they should <coughs> not uh, harm the system in this way. Mm. So striking essentially is is not something which is permitted in Islam. Yeah. However, a peaceful strike, uh, as uh, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza. Masoor Ahmed has also mentioned that a peaceful striking is something which is acceptable. Yeah. And uh, as I as I mentioned, that it's like you you write letters to the government, you get your voice out, but you should not uh, act in a way that that harms the society uh, more. So, like for example, we had this oil this oil campaign. Um, I forgot the name. So they wanted the, the, to stop the oil, and they would sit on the roads, mm-hmm. blocking traffic. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. So th- it's just risky for themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can see they're like they're throwing their lives away for this. Yeah. So this is not acceptable. Yeah. However, they should, um, they should be mentioned. They should be talked about, and uh, this is how we can resolve this instead of you know breaking things or breaking the system. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, you're you're completely right. You, you, uh, we all have the opportunity and the right to be heard. 
Um, if you are dwellers within a society or inhabitants of a country, then uh, of course you have a right to 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 speak up and let your council mm-hmm. know, let uh, let anyone who is in authority know that these are the things which are are, are wrong or these are the things which you feel as if uh, uh, are are part of your rights and you you want you 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 want to demand for them. Um, but going on strike is, of course, a, a, a different matter completely. Like, for instance, if we can see the whole of Scotland, uh, all of the primary schools are, are shut today mm-hmm. as uh, as the teachers have gone on strike. I mean, that's not just affecting the staff over there. Uh, so many parents uh, are going to be affected by that as well because they they they, they uh, let's say they drop their kids off to school mm-hmm. and then they go off to work or they have some other commitments yeah. or I mean uh, w- where would they drop their children then um, or they, does that mean that they would also have to take time off work so that they can have a have a sick day and look look after their kids or other such things as well? Yes, yeah, so it's like There's, a domino effect. Exactly. If one person <coughs> takes off, the other one's forced to take off because yeah. his child can't go to school. Yeah. And then if the child can't go to school, it's, it's harming his education. And this, in the long term, obviously, will have a negative effect. Yeah. Um, maybe one day is nothing, but if you do that one day every week, yeah. it just builds up, you know, and then... When it's you know when you keep dropping water into the glass and then it suddenly pours exactly so it's it's not a right uh, it's not the right strategy yeah no no definitely definitely couldn't agree more um, and with that we are going to be going into our first segment for the day just a quick reminder for you if you are just tuning in the uh, first main segment for the day is in regards to Taliban um, how they're further restricting women's rights over there in Afghanistan. Um, the second uh, topic is in regards to um, uh, the United Nations Refugee Agency, uh, how they're urging countries uh, to help the Rohingya Muslims uh, that are stranded at sea, uh, as at least 20 reportedly died and hundreds more uh, landed in Indonesia uh, after weeks adrift in the Indian Ocean. We'll be speaking about that, God willing, after the 8 o'clock news. And last but not least, we're going to be speaking about parachuting uh, suspect and how he was driven by pathological hatred of foreigners. Um, so we'll be addressing that in the last half hour of the show. Um, uh, and remember, like I said earlier as well, the number for you, as always, is 0208-687-7878. And you can tweet us and leave your comments on our Instagram page as well at Voice of Islam UK. Um, so at, at the start of the new academic year in March, the Taliban announced an indefinite ban on secondary schools for girls depriving some three and a half million teenagers on education. Earlier this week, it was announced that public and private universities across the country were being closed to female students until further notice. There has been a widespread outcry against the cry uh, against the act as they had earlier promised to allow women to continue learning. Um, and that is something to strike about. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, uh, we we see, uh, and Islam teaches us, that uh, um, the acquisition of knowledge is incumbent upon every man and every uh, uh, w- woman as well. Definitely. It's not just limited to uh, to, to boys or to, to the male species. I mean, over here, the Afghan, uh, the, the Taliban, sorry, what they're doing over here is completely 
uh, 100% against what Islam teaches us. And so, mm. I mean, I don't know on what basis they've even uh, uh, done this. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's more shocking because it's a Muslim country. Exactly. And like this, what well, you mentioned, this, this hadith of the Holy Prophet is so clear. Yeah. It's not an option to seek knowledge. It, exactly. It's an obligation. <laughs> exactly. Like you have to do it. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I mean, Islam has laid uh, down so much emphasis and so much importance on the acquisition of knowledge that, I mean, and this is uh, a narration which I'm sure many of our regular listeners will be well aware of by now, um, that uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that even if you have to travel to China uh, for the acquisition of knowledge, then you should do so. And remember, uh, we, we say this as well. This this is not something that has just mentioned, has been mentioned in the last, let's say, century or so. This was said almost fifteen hundred years ago now, and at that time, one can only imagine how how much of a strenuous task it would be for one to travel all the way from Saudi Arabia to China, which is uh, pretty much uh, across the the world. Um, yeah. and, and and at that time, of obviously, there weren't any uh, planes. There, there wasn't uh, such easy modes of transport in which mm. uh, such a task can be done within, let's say, a day or two. But rather, this is a task would, which would be uh, take months on end for, for one to do. But still, the Holy Prophet, sallallahu may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that even if you have to travel all the way to China to, uh, to acquire knowledge, then this is something that you should do so. Um, we'll be speaking more about what Islam teaches us uh, in regards to the acquisition of knowledge uh, in just a short while. Um, but, uh, Usman, how does this affect the Afghan women? Uh, yeah, so this, um, <clears throat> this new um, ban is started uh, in the new academic year in March 2020. And uh, well, in April, the Taliban fired thousands of female government employees who were instructed to stay at home under the promise they would be paid their salaries. The Taliban stopped paying the salaries in April. So this could be a solution if they say, okay, don't work mm. and we'll, we'll pay you. But <laughs> this is, that's not going to work, is it? This is about millions, there's millions of women. You can't just pay them for um, just like that. I mean, the, the government can't afford this. Mm. And, and plus, it's it's not even just about um, the pay, isn't it? We, we don't acquire knowledge just so that we can get paid uh, as a reward for that. Yeah, of course. Exactly, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) the the acquisition of knowledge is something which is beneficial for us uh, in all walks of life. I mean, whether Mm. it's, uh, we're talking about females, um, within Islam, it is the primary uh, uh, objective of uh, the wife, of the mother, to look after the upbringing of the children. And yes. His Holiness, may Allah strengthen his hand, he has mentioned countless times um, um, at the annual conventions as well that we have. Um, and within that, he's, he's mentioned that uh, the primary objective of the, of the man is to uh, uh, acquire an income and look after the household, uh, look after all of the, uh, the monetary terms uh, of the house. And for the woman, for the, for the wife, it is to look after the upbringing of the children. And if if that is done properly, then that is a far more important role and a far more crucial role because that is what is uh, 
um, going to look after the next generation, isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. If we, if the upbringing of uh, of our children is done correctly, then we know that the the future of our society, um, the, the the society that we live in and the environment that we live in, will be in safe and capable hands. But if the if the women, let's say over here in Afghanistan, where three point five million uh, women are being affected by this. Um, um, uh, automatically, directly, and indirectly, so many more women uh, and so many more families are being in, uh, um, in, in involved and, uh, and affected by this. I mean, look at what the next generation will be then. If they don't have the knowledge to teach their children, to help them with their homework, to teach them basic um, uh, morals and values, then, mm. then what, what, what would the future generation look like? Yeah, I think you, you, <clears throat> you can... Uh, see this in the <coughs> countries which don't have uh, advanced education or which don't have uh, access to education for um, for young girls and boys that they are somewhat a little bit behind yeah. and the reason for that is is not just um, they don't have the resources I mean Africa or these third world countries they they probably their, their land is probably rich with uh, with coal or, yeah, or oil or stuff like this, but they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the knowledge to use these uh, resources. They don't have the knowledge to use the environment and uh, you know move up and move and progress uh, because of education. So, like you said, this is this has a effect, not maybe not an immediate effect, even though it already has. But yeah. for the long term, for the next generation, this is this is just. They won't have education. We're going. We're going back in time now. We're yeah. not moving forward. Yeah, uh, which is a very sad state of affairs. The uh, drastic changes uh, um, in Afghanistan has seen uh, uh, that that Afghanistan has seen over the past year seem to have disappointed an overwhelming majority of ordinary uh, Afghans as well, according to a recent Gallup survey. Nearly all Afghans, ninety eight percent. Uh, rated their living conditions as suffering, quote-unquote, under the new regime. And uh, just 11% said they had hopes of better opportunities for the next generation. Um, I mean, that that's, that's such a, a worrying statement. Only 11% said that they have hopes for a better for for better opportunities for the next generation but if we can see that uh, if if this is actually implemented and acted out um mm. um that uh, the that no girl no woman will be able to acquire knowledge um after primary school um then uh, this is uh, i i don't know how even uh, 11% can, can can say such a thing as well uh, a record low, 22% of Afghans say women in their country are treated with respect and dignity, down from the previous low of 31% in 2021, according to what the uh, Gallup has said. Um, how are uh, other countries um, viewing the, 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 the change, Osman? So obviously I think all countries are against this rule, but no country has officially recognized the Taliban as Afghanistan's new government since it took power in August 2021. So they're already not in favor of the <coughs> Taliban's, but yeah. with these conditions, this is like uh, even like every ordinary person can tell that something's not right. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like I, I haven't understood what, I haven't, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard of a single reason that <laughs> yeah. which could back this uh, ban they have uh, made. I, I tried to listen to some interviews of this yeah. um, Taliban group, and they try to say that this is this is how our culture is. Like this, we have an Islamic culture. They keep saying, yeah, 
and I'm just sitting there, you know, as a Muslim. I'm like, <laughs> are you out of your head? Like, this yeah. is totally against Islam. Yeah. And uh, so they basically don't have any reason, mm. um, but they have the power right now. Yeah. But yeah, other countries don't don't really agree with it either. No yeah. one. I mean. If we go back to, uh, I mean, they, they keep saying that they're uh, Islamic culture, right? Um, if we go back to the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um, of course, there was no better Islam than that of uh, of his time, isn't it? Yeah. During his lifetime. Um, because obviously um, at that time everything was being revealed and, and the the companions were all um, listening uh, uh, to, mm. to the Holy Prophet Muhammad may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and everything which was uh, being told to him uh, divinely as well. Um, and at that time, even uh, the Holy Prophet Muhammad may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that uh, if you want to acquire knowledge, then you can do so. You can learn half of the faith from Hazrat Aisha. May Allah be pleased with her. Yeah. And so uh, behind a covering, um, she would be within uh, the, the the household um, and outside the house. There will be there would be uh, so many companions of the Holy Prophet Muhammad. May mm. peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And may Allah be pleased with them all. And they would go to her and uh, learn from her. And what we can see from this is that not only was a woman teaching all of the men, um, but uh, uh, it, it just goes to show how much uh, knowledge she had in the first place so that she can embark that on onto the companions as well. Yeah. Um, this is not something which, uh, I mean, over here we're seeing the flip side. The Afghans, or the Taliban's I should say, no, not the Afghans, the Taliban's mm. are, are saying that uh, there is an Islamic culture and they're trying to promote the Islamic values. But of course, this is not the case because Islam teaches us that uh, we can see from from a verse of the Holy Quran as well, um, or many verses of the Holy Quran that uh, everything. Or for instance, I'll, I'll read out chapter four, verse hundred and twenty-five, for the benefit of our listeners. It states that, "But whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, shall uh, such shall enter heaven." And shall not be wronged even as much as the little hollow in the back of a date stone. I mean, we can see that it, it, there's the when it comes to spirituality and the relationship with uh, with with God, with our Creator, there is indeed absolute equality between the genders. Um, even when it comes to the uh, the uh, acquisition of knowledge as well, we mentioned earlier that uh, this is something which is incumbent upon uh, every believing man and every believing woman. And that is what Islam teaches us. Um, before going on to the news, we are going to be listening to um, an audio clip that we have of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Hazim is Tahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on his soul. And this is in regards to how much freedom uh, women have within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. In, uh, in my own religion, there's been a number of changes over the years, a short number of years, which have been around um, for examples of mass used to be said in Latin, it's now said in English. Um, women uh, hold a much more active role in terms of um, community and religion. In what way has your community evolved over the years, um, perhaps in a more liberal sense? Or has it yes. to maintain the, the old traditions? In fact, the moment the community came into being, uh, the problem began, not of suppressing the ladies, but of emancipating them from the social, traditional uh, 
restrictions imposed on ladies in, in those countries. Ahmadis believe, as against other Orthodox Muslims, that the ladies must not be confined to the four walls of their homes, although this is their first responsibility to look after the family and raise the family. This is why they are made <coughs> different from men. When they carry the children, their bondage with their children is much more stronger. The child remains attached, attached to them during the period of uh, uh, milking and so on. So uh, all these things convey a message that the, that the Creator created ladies with a set design and a set purpose. So Islam does not oblige ladies to earn their living. Islam does not throw this responsibility on the shoulder of ladies. Absolve them, of, absolves them of all responsibility of earning their livelihood. It is a responsibility of the husbands to provide them, and if a lady, which she can of course, earns her own living as well, does some work, the husband wouldn't stop her, but will not have any share in whatever earning the lady makes. <coughs> she is not obliged to spend it on the family. So this is the correct Islamic attitude. This was not found in the time when Ahmadiyyat came into being, when it was, the, it was first revealed to the founder that you are the reformer of the age. So he gave all the liberties to Muslim Ahmadi ladies which Islam gave. And this was considered as un-Islamic by the orthodox Muslim society. So they were emancipated not through a process of evolution but through a process of revolution. And in revolution, you do not evolve. You just make open a grand new scheme of things, and uh, then you belong to that emancipated life. And uh, from then on, you live according to the restrictions which have to be there in principle, and according to the freedom which has to be there in principle. So the Ahmadi ladies have uh, adapted themselves to this situation and they are very happy. They are not suppressed in any way. They are encouraged to get more education. They are encouraged to participate in every healthy activity of life. To, For instance, in, in, in the, among the Muslims there are two groups now. One lying to this extreme and the other to that. When they call ladies are emancipated, that society is a westernized society. And emancipation in their concept means not the good points of the western society, but only the evil points. When a lady is permitted to intermix freely and to enjoy life and, and, and chuck to the four winds the principles of morality and so on, this is what they think is uh, liber liberation of women, emancipation of women. And there are those who live in the other extreme where the ladies are not permitted to walk, most often not permitted to walk out of the four walls of their small houses and to observe parda, the veil, in such a manner as it's most burdensome, most shocking, most, uh, you know, discomforting to them. And uh, they are not permitted to speak to any, any other man. 
they are only imprisoned for life, almost for life, within the four walls of their house and they go through the drudgery of just looking at the children and caring for the husbands. And the husbands, on the other hand, enjoy all evils outside. So this is a shocking paradoxical society which creates a hatred for this so-called Islam in the younger generations. So they just walk out of this to the other extreme. In our community, we try to maintain this balance right from the start. The ladies are told that you have as many rights as men have, according to the Holy Quran, but with the restriction that you should look after your chastity. Nobody should be permitted to play with you and turn you into a plaything. You know, this is not the society which is encouraged by Islam, this which we think uh, guarantees the ultimate happiness of both the sexes. So, um, they are given their due rights. For instance, Islam gives inheritance, right of inheritance to ladies, which is not given in any other religion, to my knowledge, or other societies as well. And in the other Muslim societies, they simply forego that right because nobody is going to give that right to them. Or they have to go to the courts to sue their, 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 their brothers and so on for their right. But in Ahmadi community, this right is given. And practically, they come into their own wealth when their parents die or some other relatives whom they should normally inherit. That wealth belongs to them, they're free to use it, they're educated, they participate in professions, doctors, nurses, other things, teachers, and so on. No problems, as long as uh, they strictly maintain the moral standards. If they begin to deviate there, then we remind them and uh, pursue, persuade them and try to bring them back to, the, to our traditions. So this is the way of Ahmadiyya life, and the Ahmadiyya ladies are very happy. So much so that once an Ahmadiyya lady read an article by some English lady creating a very sorry picture of Muslim ladies' life, those who really uh, practice Islam, not only believe in that, and uh, the way they are treated and the way they are deprived of the best of life and so on. So one of the ladies wrote to her, to come and visit Ahmadiyya Lady Society here and meet them and find out how they feel and what sort of life they lead. Now, only a few, I think a week or ten days ago, after a year of that invitation, suddenly that uh, journalist appeared. She's a journalist. And said, all right, now I've come. Show me the way of life and let me cross them in others and things. So she spent the best part of the day with various Ahmadi ladies, girls, growing up, age, uh, growing up uh, um, the girls belonging to the teens and the old ladies as well. And she wrote an, a very interesting article after that, rectifying her previous impressions and making it very clear that among Ahmadiyya's community, I found a completely different picture. The, the British la ladies who had become Ahmadis, they also started the same tradition. They were also invited. And they told her, look here, we find ourselves much better off. We are happier. 
and more contented with life because we have guaranteed the fidelity of husbands. We are guaranteed a better attitude on the part of our own children. They, do, they do, just don't uh, expect things from us. They have their duties to us as well and they realize it. And uh, they respect us, they love us and we find a closer bondage of a family um, mutual love and so on. And also the communal love and we participate in so many things uh, as ladies. So she went back very satisfied. This is my answer. In, in reality it is uh, just to see things. In practice that would convince you that uh, the MZ ladies are satisfied with this way of life. Those who have seen the other way of life, they stand in, uh, uh, in a better position to compare. So this question should be asked of the uh, British Amity ladies. They can answer it better because they have known the previous way of life and the more, this new way of life and uh, they adopt it not without, with, with any compulsion whatsoever. So that shows that, uh, what I'm talking is really carry sense. That was uh, an audio clip of the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazim Mirza Tahir Ahmad, may Allah have mercy on his soul, um, in regards to how much freedom do women have within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And it just goes to show the importance of being able to do all of these different things within our own circles. And, and what we're seeing over there in Afghanistan is, of course, um, a very un-Islamic, to say the least, um, and a, a, a quite barbaric um, as well, if, if, if I'm allowed to say so. Um, and, uh, and with that, we're going to be going uh, and taking a short break for the news. Don't go anywhere and join us after the 8 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to The Breakfast Show here on The Voice of Islam radio station. Just a quick time check for you. It is two minutes past eight on Tuesday, the 10th of January, 2023. Um, if you are just tuning in, um, before the news, we were talking about the new rules uh, in Afghanistan um, and how the, uh, the, the, the Taliban have put further restrictions on women's right, rights over there. Um, they've uh, put in. Uh, they've announced an indefinite ban on secondary school for girls, um, depriving some three and a half million teenagers on education. Um, so, so like I said, if you are just tuning in um, and you would like to hear that, then uh, once this show uh, finishes, you'll be able to listen back to that on our SoundCloud at www.voiceofislam.co.uk. Um, in this hour. We're going to be speaking about the Rohingya Muslims, um, the United Nations Refugee Agency, the UNHCR, 
um, has urged countries on Tuesday to help the Rohingya Muslims stranded at sea uh, as at least 20 reportedly died and hundreds more landed in Indonesia after weeks adrift in the Indian Ocean. Nearly 500 Rohingya Muslims, um, Rohingya, sorry, have uh, reached Indonesia in the past six weeks, while many others did not act despite numerous pleas and appeals for help, the UNHCR uh, said in a statement. Um, so a little bit more about um, uh, what's happening over there. Uh, Osman, how many refugees are, are still at sea? The Rohingya are a predominantly Muslim ethnic group with a population of about 3.1 million living in a Buddhist majority Myanmar. For decades, they have faced persecution and discrimination, including being rendered stateless in the early 1990s and suffering serious human rights violations. Military per, um, persecution of uh, Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar was introduced in August 2017. Since then, more than 700,000 Rohingya men, women and children have fled persecution and violence to neighboring countries, many of them by unsafe and overcrowded journeys by land or boat. Uh, and uh, this year alone, over 2,400 Rohingya have attempted to escape by taking risky journeys across the Andaman Sea and Bay of Bengal, resulting in their reported deaths of nearly 200 individuals. After spending more than a month adrift on a stricken boat, 58 refugees were rescued by Indonesian fishermen in the uh, Ake province on uh, 25th December. A boat carrying uh, 100, 185 Rohingya adrift at sea since December 1 uh, washed ashore in Ake uh, on 26th December. Local disaster agency officials said the vessel landed um, with 174 Rohingya aboard uh, with some survivors saying more than 20 had died on the way. So it's a difficult journey, uh, very deadly as well. And the UNHCR is attempting to verify reports that another boat with 180 people aboard is still missing at sea. Yet all passengers are presumed dead. Um, we urgently call an a um, ACEAN uh, member states and uh, other countries in the region to fulfill their humanitarian obligations and launch search and rescue operations for the boat if it enters their waters <coughs> and to allow for the proper disembark uh, disembarkation of the refugees. Uh, so um, Eva Sundari, she's a board member um, for the ACEAN Parliamentarians for Human Rights and a former member of the Indonesian House of Representatives. Um, that was her statement. Uh, the UNHCR has stated that Indonesia's rescue of 472 people from four boats over the past six weeks demonstrates the country's commitment to upholding basic humanitarian principles for individuals facing persecution and conflict. Many others did not act despite numerous pleas and appeals for help, lamented the UN Refugee Agency, urging other countries in the region to follow Indonesia's example. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we can see that, uh, that uh, it's a, a very disastrous uh, situation over there at the moment, isn't it? And anyone who can... 
um, and is in a position to help, uh, of course, uh, we do urge uh, all of our listeners to do get involved and help out wherever possible. Um, we can see from the Holy Quran as well, uh, in chapter 4, verse 101, um, it states that, And whoso emigrates from his country in the cause of Allah will find in the earth an abundant place of refuge and plentifulness. And whoso goes forth from his home, emigrating in the cause of Allah and his messenger, and death overtakes him, his reward lies on Allah. And Allah is most forgiving, merciful. Um, <clears throat> we can see from uh, this verse of the Holy Quran as well that uh, uh, although, of course, um, it's uh, a hugely a difficult task um, which uh, the, the Rohingya Muslims are, are, are going through, uh, I should say the Rohingya are going through, predominantly the Muslims, but not all of them are, um, which the Rohingya are going through. And uh, um, when when we migrate, of course, it is done for a reason, it is done for a cause. Um, and if they are facing, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> if they are facing uh, persecution um, within their own province, of course, like you mm -hmm. stated as well, they were they 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 were stateless as well, um, uh, branded stateless for a while, um, and so it is of course a, a very difficult um, time for them and what what they're going through, and um, uh, because they are having to migrate. Um, um, of course, it, it is up to the neighboring countries to to open up their doors for them and help them and assist them um, and aid them so that they can come and take refuge um, and be safe because yeah. uh, the sanctity of life is, of course, um, such a such a crucial thing which every one of us should be uh, should be thinking about. I mean, the last segment in which we're talking about the the Paris shooting as well. Um, the only reason why he did that was because he hated foreigners. Mm. Um, but uh, more on that in just a short while. But I'm just saying that we we need to be open um, to 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 our neighbors and other such things. And and this is exactly what Islam teaches us. Islam teaches us, and the Holy Quran teaches us that He has made us into tribes and subtribes, so that we can can recognize one another, uh, so that we can learn from another uh, one another as well. And this is the the beauty of having so many different cultures, having so many different backgrounds, having so many different uh, uh, different races uh, yeah. and other such things as well. The whole the whole purpose of this, Allah the Almighty has mentioned that litaarafu, so that we can recognize each other. Um, and only when we recognize each other and when we understand uh, from each other can we move forward. Um, I mean, so many times we, uh, we uh, our our st radio station, Voice of Islam radio station over here as well, is based uh, in in South London as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, over here in London, um, which by the way is the largest uh, mosque, Batavtu, uh, the largest mosque in Eastern um, uh, Europe, um, we can see that uh, within London, we have so many different cultures. You you walk on uh, uh, outside on the street or, or take the public transport or whatever, you you'll never see only one one specific uh, type of people. You'll see people from uh, from Europe, from Asia, from Africa, from America, mm. from from all parts of the world. 
Um, and this is the beauty of it. I mean, even if we, we if we talk about restaurants, uh, in on one road you'll find Oriental, you find Chinese, yeah. <laughs> Korean, you'll find uh, fish and chips. You've got your mm. chicken chips. You've got your burger joints. You've got your, uh, your Nando's and whatever else as well. I mean, there's so many different things, and that the the whole reason is because we are we have been made different. We have different likes and dislikes, and mm. Allah the Almighty has made us this way so that we can learn from one another. We can respect one another and tolerate one another. If we are going to be uh, persecuting those who are different from us or having an enmity or a hatred for those who are different to us, then then what is the point of this all? Um, this is something that we need to be open for. Um, and of course, not making light of the situation over here. Um, so many lives have been lost as well. Um, um, but, but Allah the Almighty has given us this glad tiding that whosoever emigrates, and this is what the uh, the verse that we just mentioned as well, this is what it's all about as well, that whosoever migrates and if death overtakes him during that migration, then you should at least be, um, uh, ha- be content in knowing that Allah the Almighty has given the glad tiding that whosoever does this, his reward lies with Allah the Almighty. Yeah, I think all these, all our three topics are like interrelated. Mm. From from Afghanistan, uh, obviously, if women don't get their rights. They they gonna, um, they will have to probably migrate from there, just like these uh, uh, Rohingya um, people. And uh, so this, the, then they do the migration, and let's say they come to a place like Paris, mm. and someone doesn't like them, and then they're gonna out of hatred. Shoot them. So the, the, all all three topics are kind of interrelated as well. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, the points you've mentioned is so so important, and I think so obvious. Uh, this um, respect for each other and the diversity we have in uh, in in humankind. Uh, I mean, imagine you have to eat fish and chips for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> That's like so. You need you need diversity in, in every aspect of your life, mm. and uh, hu- humanity is one aspect. So naturally there's going to be different people there's going to be different beliefs uh it, that reminds me recently uh on on the occasion of christmas um in the uk the youngest imam saba amdi he did a he came on a, one of the news channels mm-hmm. and he spoke about his christmas as he's a muslim mm-hmm. who's celebrating christmas not celebrating christmas He's uh, celebrating with his in-laws okay. who are celebrating Christmas. Mm-hmm. So he was also um, telling, I think it was the, the NBC or something. He was telling them that um, the reason we get together and celebrate this uh, event together is because there's something more important, which is family and respect for each other. Although he doesn't accept or uh, agree with their beliefs of Christmas or their ideology about Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but they are family to him. They're yeah. his in-laws. And uh, so he he mentioned that on on Christmas, um, the, his their in his in laws invite him and his parents, yeah. and on the occasion of Eid, which is a Muslim celebration, a yearly celebration, they invite the in laws and get together, and it's a peaceful um, and you know a harmonious uh, environment. You, there, there's uh, even though they have different beliefs, yeah. and um, very you know b- being blunt that we definitely condemn the belief of the Christians. Yeah. We are completely against it that Jesus is a God or he was, uh, or he um, he's alive right now. Yeah. But uh, we still, that doesn't mean that we we hate Christians or it doesn't mean that, course, yeah. you know, the, I always say you, you hate the act but you, you can't hate the person. Mm. You know, he's, he's like you. If that same person would uh, have the same belief as you, how would you treat him? He would be like your brother. Yeah. Yeah, so 
we are always against the wrong doctrines and acts, but we never we never um, uh, discriminate a, p- a person because of who he is. Yeah, you know, love for all, hatred for none. Definitely, definitely, and 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 this is exactly what. Uh, uh, Islam teaches us as well that uh, I mean uh, so many times people come to his holiness uh, as well uh, may Allah strengthen his hand and and ask that oh, I, I, I've I newly converted with, uh, into the Ahmadiyya Muslim sect but my parents or my siblings or, or whoever mm. my loved ones they are still um, from whatever faith right yeah. or, or even no faith or, or let's say they're from a different Muslim sect or whatever um, and they ask His Holiness that how how should I treat them? Um, and His Holiness, um, may Allah strengthen His hand, such great wisdom. He's he has always said that uh, you should treat them with love and affection. If they're your parents, then of course you you treat them no no different to how mm. you would before. Um, yeah. If they if they're your siblings, if it's your partner, whoever. I mean, we have to still treat them with love. And because the, the reason for this is because Islam teaches us the values of family ties. Mm. And it teaches us the, uh, the, the relationship that we have with our parents, with our family members, with our relatives, with the traveler, the kinsman, the wayfarer, the, uh, our neighbors, all of these different categories of people, um, even the prisoners or prisoners even, um, Allah the Almighty has given us so many um, uh, teachings uh, about uh, about this that uh, it's it's impossible for us to ignore it, and so it's essential that whenever we have a relationship with anyone, then that that should be with the utmost love and affection. And like you said, the, our motto as well is, of course, love for all, hatred for none. Isn't it? Mm. It's uh, like and and like you mentioned as well beautifully that it might be the act uh, that you 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 despise or for you hate or you do, you dislike, but you can never uh, dislike the person because of that. I mean, if we go back to the teachings of Islam, when Allah the Almighty was revealing the Quran to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and he's talking about the the giving the rights to to the prisoners, yeah. those were prisoners who were captives of of war. These were prisoners who were butchering and slaughtering the the Muslim women, the children, um, and of course the, the men as well during the time of the war. And because uh, the the Muslims were victorious and those uh, people became uh, prisoners prisoners of war, still Allah the Almighty has told us that you should treat them with love as well. And uh, I mean, this is something which is unimaginable. But it yeah. just goes to show that those wars which were fought at that time were defensive. There wasn't any enmity behind that. They were attacking the Muslims. And Allah the Almighty has stated in the Holy Quran as well that if it weren't for you defending yourselves, then not only would they um, uh, be going against Islam, but they were were actually going against religion as a whole. And this is why it was essential for for the Muslims to do what they did. But still, yeah. the Holy Prophet would, would teach the Muslims that if... Um, the way you you feed yourselves and your children, that is the same way you should feed them. The way you clothe yourselves should be the, the same way that you clothe them. And this Actually, is the even love. Better. So there's, there's a story that yeah. uh, during one of those wars, the prisoners were captured, and uh, um, they had two things: they had dates and bread to eat. Mm. Okay, the Muslims and uh, the Holy Prophet commanded them that. So bread was something considered something better. Yeah, more like a, like a like. A privilege, food, yeah. a privilege. Yeah. And he commanded them to give the bread to the prisoners mm. and uh, just 
be content with the dates for themselves. Yeah. Okay, because they they and the reason was that they are already in discomfort. So we should do as much as we can to comfort them. Exactly. Okay. But at the same time you you can't let the prisoner lose because he is going to retaliate. He's going to attack your people. That would be that's nothing to do with hatred. That's just stupidity. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. if somebody's trying to kill you and you don't fight back, yeah. you're not being yeah. you're not being uh loving to him. You're just you losing you're your just life for damaging to your own self, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um and <coughs> sorry. With that we're going to be listening to an audio clip of uh, the current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his uh, helper. Uh, and this is taken from the annual convention um, from in Germany back in 2018, where he was addressing the issues of uh, refugees and helping them in times of desperate need. A major factor fueling their anxiety has been the influx of immigrants to many Western nations in recent years. This has certainly been the case here in Germany, which has taken far more refugees than any other European country in recent times. As a result, many local people are afraid that their societies are changing beyond comprehension, and they feel that their nation's, nation's resources are being disproportionately utilized in favor of immigrants. Whilst the term immigrant is used, the real issue for most people is Islam. And the fact that the vast majority of immigrants to Europe are Muslims fleeing from war-torn countries in the Middle East. Thus, when the far right and their supporters raise rallying calls against immigration, their actual target is Islam. And their objective is to stop Muslims from entering their nations. They view Islam as incompatible with Western values and, stri- and strive to propagate their belief that Muslims are unable to successfully integrate into the Western, uh, into the West, and are a threat to other citizens. Further, many non-Muslims believe Islam is Islam to be a religion of extremism, and imagine that those Muslims who immigrate will be extremists or religious fanatics who will spread poison in society, incite division and disturb the peace and well-being of their nation. Certainly, this sense of alarm has spread to some parts of this country, especially in Eastern Germany. Thus, there have been moves and campaigns to ban the building of mosques. We, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, have not been immune to such opposition, whereby some groups here in Germany have actively campaigned against us and endeavored to stop us building new mosques. 
they have campaigned against us, even though our motto is love for all, hatred for none. And despite the fact that for almost 130 years, our community has been at the very forefront of prom promoting peace, brotherhood, love, and compassion in all parts of the world. Our history testifies to the fact that wherever we have built mosques or become established, the fears of the local people have soon evaporated. Those who initially viewed us with suspicion have quickly become our loyal friends and sincere supporters. Throughout the world, our neighbors happily attest to the fact that Ahmadi Muslims are people who promote peace in society and who spread only a message of love, compassion, and human sympathy. Yet, due to the dire state of the Muslim world at large, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has also uh, had to suffer the consequences. Another charge raised by those opposed to widespread immigration is that uh, immigrants are prone to sexually abusing or harassing women. Sadly, a recent report suggest, suggested that this high proportion of rapes or attempted rapes in one Western country were committed by immigrants. God knows better if the figures are accurate, but when such reports are made public, it affects other nations as well. And the concern and fears of local people continue to rise. Another point that many parties and politicians have focused upon is the tax burden required to resettle immigrants. Aside from their day-to-day -day living expenses, infrastructure costs resulting from large-scale immigration are vast, and so the financial burden on the state is considerable, and it is ultimately taxpayers who fund this. People who have lived their lives and paid their taxes in a country are justified to ask whether it is fair that their contributions to the state are spent on resettling foreign immigrants as opposed to funding projects that are beneficial to ex existing citizens. I do not dispute that these are valid issues and real causes of concern. And if they are not dealt with wisely, tensions in society will continue to increase. Additionally, wherever there is large-scale migration, it inevitably leads to security issues. Indeed, it has been proven that hidden amongst the genuine refugees are immigrants who have the potential to cause great harm. 
For example, just a few days ago, a, fem a female refugee living in Germany, who in the past had been kidnapped and kept as a slave in Iraq, was interviewed. She told how she was shocked and horrified to see that her captor, a member of the terrorist group, was now also living freely in Germany, having come here under the pretense of persecution. This is something I have warned about in the past, that each case should be carefully analyzed to ensure that extremists or criminals posing as refugees are not allowed to enter. Anyway, these issues mean that the fear of mass immigration from Muslim countries is to some extent justified. Yet, on the other, hand, other side, it is necessary for a fair-minded, intelligent, and wise person to look at both sides of the story and not just base his or her impression of Muslims and Islam upon hearsay. Merely because someone brands Islam a religion of extremism or claims that all Muslims are terrorists does not make it true. Rather, it is vital to assess the facts rationally and objectively before reaching a conclusion. Hence, before reaching a def definitive conclusion about whether Islam's teachings are of an extremist nature, you should investigate and see what the truth is. Analyze whether the, the wicked acts of some so-called Muslims are motivated by the teachings of Islam. Consider whether Islam really does permit extremism or does it prescribe severe punishment for those who spread disorder and hatred? Does Islam permit Muslims to break the laws of the land in, uh, in the name of their faith? What expectations does Islam place upon Muslims in terms of their conduct in society? Does Islam encourage Muslims to burden the state or does it encourage them to work hard to be loyal and to contribute positively to the society in which they live? That was, <clears throat> sorry, that was His Holiness Hazimiza Masood Ahmed, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah strengthen his hand, speaking in regards to uh, the issue uh, of refugees um, and helping them in times of desperate need. And this was taken from the uh, annual convention in Germany uh, back in 2018. Um, there's one or two more things uh, in regards to um, migration before moving on to the next topic. Um the Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and his people, had to migrate to Abyssinia because of the persecution and harassment of Muslims um, in Mecca. The king of Abyssinia was a, uh, was, a, was a Christian, but he welcomed the Prophet and his followers and gave them food, shelter, security and freedom of worship. When the Holy Prophet of Islam, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his followers migrated to Medina. Real brotherhood was shown uh, by the help of the the Ansar to the emigrants. Uh, the Ansar were those uh, the dwellers of uh, Medina, 
who um, welcomed and hosted um, the migrants who came from uh, Mecca. The, they shared their homes, clothes, food and their knowledge of agriculture to train the immigrants to help them settle and make a living of their own as well. And, and this is the beauty of it, isn't it? It's not just about welcoming someone into your, into your country uh, or into your place of residence, but rather it's about teaching them the skill set so that they can uh, be a contributing person towards the society. They're not just a, a burden, but rather they can do something and help those people uh, around them as well. And this is um, what uh, what should be kept in mind. There's something really amazing uh, <clears throat> you mentioned. Um, just want to clarify, uh, just elaborate on that. That when the people from Mecca, the Muslims, had to migrate to Medina, so the Meccans were traders and businessmen. The the people from Medina, they were like farmers. So they were comparatively poorer and had less things. Uh, however, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu he he started this kind of scheme of of brotherhood, that he allocated one Meccan to one uh, one household in Medina, and uh, so he they were responsible for his food, for his clothes, for his shelter. Mm. But also in return, you need to look at the Meccan Muslims who migrated, that they, how they acted, that they did not demand for too much. They didn't say that, oh, we need, uh, we need like high quality meat. They were, they were content with what they had. So it goes both ways again. Yeah, obviously, uh, a big sacrifice from the people of Medina to make them, uh, to give them space in their home, but also sacrifice from the Meccans that they uh, gave up so many things, so many luxuries to uh, live a simple life because the, this is all they had at that time. So this brotherhood which was initiated, that concept I think I've never seen it anywhere else yeah. in history or even today, hmm. that your base one person has been connected to another person as a brother. Yeah. And, you know, like just a random guy. He's hmm. your brother. You have to take care of them. He's going to live with you now until he can stand up on his own feet. Yeah. Yeah, and the the Holy Prophet of Islam. I mean, um, I mean, the the the, the companions loved uh, and adored him so much that they they would do anything for him. Mm. And uh, the the just one example before moving on to the next segment. Um, there was one companion who who had um, he had two wives. Um, yeah. And uh, the the Meccan who was told to stay at his house, the um, because the Holy Prophet of Islam. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Had said that you you should you need to share everything equally. He even said that you pick which one you want, and I'll divorce one of them so that you can marry them. Yeah. Um, and this is the this is the love that they had for the Holy Prophet of Islam. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. That they were willing to even um, let go of one of their wives uh, for this person who's who they've never maybe even met before. Um, but uh, uh, we're not telling uh, people to go to that extreme. <laughs> but still, it just goes to show that this is the level of devotion that the companions of the Holy Prophet of Islam, may Allah be pleased with them all, um, had um, at that time. Um, and with that, uh, we're going to be going to our last segment for the day, parachuting suspect driven by pathological hatred of foreigners. So the French pensioner who has admitted to killing three Kurds in Paris on Friday was motivated by, uh, quote unquote, a pathological hatred of foreigners, according to prosecutors. Um, there have been numerous protests throughout Paris as the shooter was moved from prison to a psych ward. 
uh, in this segment, we're going to be looking at the event, the reactions uh, to it, and the rise in migrant-exclusive views in recent years as well. Um, Osman, if you can tell us a little bit about um, the the incident um, and also why uh, was the Kurdish community targeted uh, as well, please? Yeah, so this uh, happened on the 23rd December 2022. A 69-year-old gunman opened fire at the Kurdish Cultural Center and uh, a hairdressing salon in Paris. Um, a number of gunshots were fired on... Uh, Rue Dingian, I don't know how to pronounce it, but on that road uh, around noon, um, which caused panic on the street lined with uh, small shops and cafes in the French capital's busy 10th district. In this incident, three people got killed and three were injured. One of them is in critical condition and uh, the others were receiving treatment for serious injuries. The attacker was arrested by the police from the scene. Um... Uh, and the reason they um, targeted the Kurdish community um, is that after visit, visiting the scene, the French interior minister, uh, Gerald Derman, said the suspect attacker clearly wanted to target foreigners. Uh, the suspect had previously been charged with racist violence, Paris uh, prosecutor Laure <coughs> Beko said. In the incident, he attacked ten, tents in a, in a migrant camp on December 8th. 2021 in Paris. It was not clear why he had been released recently. The suspect said during questioning that the uh, burglary at his home in 2016 had instilled a hatred of foreigners that had become completely pathological, uh, according to Laurie Bilko in his statement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was that robbery which which happened in his house, and then that one one incident. Maybe it was it was a uh, non-French person who. Uh, tried to steal from him, and yeah. that one act just is stuck in his mind, and he's he's got he's started hating, I think all, all foreigners. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how has uh, France responded? Well, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron uh, reacted to the shooting in a tweet condemning the hyenas attack uh, in the heart of Paris. Quote unquote. He thanked the French police forces for their courage and bravery. The suspected uh, attacker. A 69-year-old Frenchman uh, with uh, a long criminal record was arrested from the scene, but on 24th of December, the suspect was released from police custody and placed into psychiatric uh, evaluation. After being transferred to a psychiatric uh, psychiatric, uh, unit, the suspect was released from the hospital and taken back into the police into police custody on Sunday afternoon. The prosecutor's office said in a later update uh, he was presented to an investigating uh, magistrate on Monday. Police in uh, Paris uh, and across France were ordered to protect Kurdish sites and Turkish diplomatic institutions following the attack, according to Darmanin, um, and clashes between pro- uh, protesters and police broke out uh, in Paris on Friday after the incident. According to police, uh, the protesters were throwing rocks and setting fire to rubbish bins. Uh, police responded with uh, um, the tear gas, and 11 officers were actually wounded uh, over there as well. Um, more on this from our first guest for this segment. We do have with us on the line Dr. Rebwa Fatah, um, who is a MENA specialist and has been working as an expert witness since 20, uh, 2000 
focusing on issues uh, across the Middle East uh, and North Africa, the North Africa region. In addition to Iran and Afghanistan, since 2000, Rebwa has produced thousands of expert reports which have been commissioned for and cited in a number of immigration appeals, as well as um, family and criminal cases. Um, assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Welcome uh, to The Breakfast Show, uh, Dr. Fatah. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, um, you're welcome to 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 the, to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam. Um, could you please explain uh, the term right wing extremism um, for the benefit of our listeners, please? Of course, I, th- I don't think there is a definition that we can all agree upon. I mean, even the Intelligence and Security Committee of the Parliament produced a document try to define that. Um, everyone defines for the sake of the subject or the topic they are dealing with. I think to assist the listeners, I will provide a simple definition. I define it as a simple ideology. I mean, by simple, I mean simple mentality and, and richness ideology that is in pursuit of white supremacy, find pretext uh, or pretext in all their failure to other groups. It range, I mean, these groups range from individuals who hate non-white ethno-religious groups to formal and informal groups, from non-violence to extreme violence. For example, the Gang of Five who killed uh, Stephen Lawrence, they were, we can define them as the right-wing extremists. And I believe people like Nigel Farage, who persuaded the country to... Uh, to vote for Brexit is also a right-wing extreme, of course, in a different shape and form. So that is really a simple definition for the sake of this program. Thank you very much. Um, with the rise of Mary Le Pen and the current Paris attack on the Kurdish centre, uh, why do you think is France in particular seeing an increase in far-right-wing rhetoric? It is very hard to find a simple reason, but there are many reasons I could talk about the Kurdish community. I think the conflict between Paris and Ankara is not very helpful, and I believe Kurds becoming victim um, between the conflict between Macron and Erdogan. And we have seen about 10 years ago that three ladies were assassinated. I, I believe Erdogan tries to attempt attempt to undermine Macron's rule. Um, I'm not saying that for this specific incident that uh, Ankara is behind it, but that conflict is not helpful. I mean, in addition to that, in in the main EU continent, apart from the UK, the rise of right-wing extremists is not really unheard of. For example, we have seen Mussolini in Spain, we have seen Hitler in Germany. We have seen it, uh, Franco in Italy. And we haven't seen similar ones in the UK. Um, and also, when the economic situation comes to, like we have seen today, becoming hard on families, usually people find simple reasons for this. And that the simplest reason is foreigners coming, taking our jobs. And we know from the Brexit that that's not the case. We actually totally failed after we, vo- we voted against uh, the European Union. 
So, so it's a simple mentality that allows people to find a pretext or an excuse for their failure. And, and, and politicians, the current politicians, are not really very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Paris has seen an eruption of protests and riots, including throwing stones at police officers and damaging vehicles and shops. Do you believe such protests will bring about change or what other measures can be sought? I, I, I mean, of course, I denounce all forms and shapes of violence, mm-hmm. whether it's legal or illegal, but violence sadly always finds its way to influence the society and influence the history. We have seen throughout history, violence have been very, very, very influential. And public violence is usually a reaction to injustice. If there is just in the society, we wouldn't see violence. Uh, For example, if, if we just look back a few years ago, or maybe a couple of decades ago, we have seen the violence in the UK against Thatcher's government against poll tax. I mean, obviously, poll tax was the most unpopular um, uh, tax form of tax that came about in history, and that's why people couldn't mm-hmm. afford to pay poll tax. So they, they, they went on the streets and destroyed things and threw stones at the police. Um, when, when people cannot find justice via legal channels, I believe they're refuge to violence. Um, but uh, the, and, and and that's when the law and order breaks down and all shapes and forms of crimes, even petty crimes, come about. I think that's the failure of the society. Hmm. No, no, completely right. Um, also, the perpetrator who killed three people uh, had a history of weapon uh, uh, weapons offences, two previous convictions, and had been charged with racist violence as well. Many feel that French authorities had done too little to prevent such an attack. I mean, what's your view on this and how can law enforcement improve to protect vulnerable groups within our society? I believe that when it's become a security issue, it's too late. How much security we need to control the society? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have all these police, all shapes and forms of the police force. And there's a danger in that beginning to militarize the society, which is not very helpful, really. I think we have to to go back to the basics. I think I think all the formal and informal institution of the of any any society, any state, must all together work in order to bring morality back to the society. I believe today the the main thing we have. Is, is the failure of morality and the separation between politics and morality. I think the, 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 the government these days just have too much power to control people, and that's not very helpful. The governments are civil servants. They are servants of us in order to help us to live peacefully. But I think they fail. It's becoming a game of staying in power. Look at the British politics. We had six prime ministers in the last six years. Hmm. I, I rest my case. If yeah. that's not failure, what's failure? Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, that is that is really failure. I mean, why why we ha- we arrived here? Because we separated morality and ethics from politics. The politicians don't have morals these days. Hmm. They just their fight. They deceive people in order to stay in power. Look at Nigel Farage. 
deceived everybody saying, we're going to kick out all the foreigners and we're going to have a peaceful country and we're going to have a, a very good NHS and we're going to have blah, blah, blah. Look at what happened to us. We can't afford anything. We can't afford gas and, 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 and electricity. For, for years, since, since the Russian Revolution in October, 20, in October 1917, we've been convinced that the Russia is an evil country. And then we suddenly realized about 40% of European gas coming from Russia. Mm. And now Russia, we have to fight. But if it was such an evil, why did we have to help this country to stand on its legs? Why did we help the economy of this country? Look at, the, look at that. That is the way the politics works today. I think it lost its transparency. It lost its morality. We really have to go back to a government that is simple, um, not complicated like now. And we have to work in order to protect everyone, including ethno-religious groups, from very early age, from school, when people go, when children go to the nursery, we have to teach them that we are all citizens of this country and we are all citizens of this world and we have to live together peacefully. But if the teacher of, of, of somebody who is bringing children up has, has hate mentality, so we're going to see hate crimes. Begins the division between the children. That is really the major problem. And there, I don't believe the security helps anything. We destroyed many countries. We destroyed Iraq. We destroyed Afghanistan. We destroyed Libya. We destroyed Syria. We simply said we're going to bring a peaceful country. That is, that's failed. We all we failed in every single aspect. I think I will leave it there. Mm. Well, thank you. Very insightful. Uh, um, things that you've shared with us and our listeners today. Um, uh, and Zakla, thank you for for that, Dr. Rebu um, it's, it's my a, pleasure. It's been a pleasure to, to have you on and we, we look forward to speaking with you again as well in some sometime in the future. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number for you to call. That was Dr. Rebwa Fata, um, along with uh, what we mentioned earlier. He's represented MECS in conferences and meetings at various institutions, such as uh, at parliamentary groups at the UK House of Commons and Finnish Parliament on matters related to Middle East and North Africa. Um, and with that, we're going to be going straight to our next guest for the show, Dr. Aaron Winter. Um, he is a senior lecturer in sociology, uh, race and anti-racism at Lancaster University. His research is on the far right with a focus on racism, mainstreaming and of violence. Um, Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning and thank you for having me. You're welcome and thank you for, for being with us, Dr. Winter. Um, uh, just getting straight into it, really, what soci- sociological and cultural factors are behind the rise in right-wing extremism, specifically concerning the rise in migrant-exclusive views in recent years, do you think? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I'd like to um, express my sort of sympathy and horror at the attack um, and those who... Um, who were killed and mm. injured. Um, so um, I, I can speak, I guess, as a sociologist. I, I tend to stay away from cultural explanations um, for a number of reasons. One is is because uh, that has tended in, in um, arguments about terrorism and extremism to be, uh, to often um, sort of 
make coded racist um, arguments and analyses about uh, particular cultures inclinations towards terrorism. And what's particularly, I think, quite interesting is when it happens to be a white and a right-wing attacker doing so in the name of racism often, um, cultural explanations tend to not be engaged with. Um, and, and maybe that's an argument to have have them, but I think it, it might legitimize them. I think it, as a sociologist, um, there's a lot of research on sort of poverty, inequality, political disenfranchisement. Um, I tend to see the the sociological factor being racism. And in in fact, what I would argue is that, and I think I think we can probably unpack this further, but that what is being articulated in this attack is race racism, hatred of migrants, hatred of foreigners, hatred of Kurds in this case, uh, and the Kurdish community. Um, and I think that when we've had sociological analysis which reduce it to um, the inequality experienced by, or the sociological inequality, socioeconomic inequality experienced by the perpetrator, it's tended to let the system and the state off the hook. And I think what we're seeing is, and I guess the reason I, I'm tying this to racism is not just because of the nature of the attack and the things allegedly uttered by the perpetrator, but because we've had this complete normalization, legitimization, and mainstreaming of anti-immigrant views, anti-immigrant politics, racist politics, Islamophobic politics, um, in France and elsewhere, that has provided a context for what we've seen is a rise in hate crimes and far-right mobilizations and far-right attacks. So I I'd, I'd guess I'd like to argue that, that racism is one of the sociological explanations. Mm, thank you. Uh, can you describe some of the characteristics um, of extremism, such as the notion of supremacy and the psychology of hate concerning the fear of the other yeah, sure. Um, I mean, one of the things that's worth worth saying on the outset is that extremism is a constructed concept. It's something mm -hmm. that is seen as exceptional, um, a outside the, the the sort of the, the legitimate or rational bounds of the mainstream. Something that threatens society. And in the case of right wing and racist extremism. I think we need some sort of caveats and some kind of qualifiers on this because what you're finding often with these type of perpetrators and these type of movements and ideas is they are reflections of the mainstream. So in a context when foreigners, immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers are dehumanized, the idea that an extremist with such views is somehow exceptional, is, is, is problematic. Um, the idea of supremacy, I mean, in a sense, like, you know, we're, we're talking about France, uh, in, in some cases we're also talking about Britain, um, where these, these are countries that had large empires predicated on supremacy, and they have immigration policies which dehumanize and um, represent migrants as inferior. So we still have these kind of ideas built into the structure and even political campaigns and political policies. So supremacy is not an exception 
or an extremist idea. It's something which is very rooted in the mainstream, in the systems and structures we exist within, and which are called upon in political elections, political campaigns, and in policymaking, sort of, uh, and in media campaigns. And so what, what can often happen is, is that these mainstream legitimization of these views can embolden more extreme individuals, actors, or movement organizations. But at the same time, when these people do attack, like in this particular case, then it can be it can be represented as a form of extremism that the mainstream wouldn't go that far. And so, in a sense, supremacy is something which is, I think, structural. It's not necessarily exceptional or extreme, but it can be mobilized in the. It, it can be mobilized for legitimate political campaigns or for violence. Um, and let's, in terms of the sort of, I guess, the, the hate or fear of the other, I, I guess I'd like to say that um, when we talk about hate, we're sort of sometimes generalizing the concept. Right now, what we're all also talking about is explicitly racism. And racism mm-hmm. is structural in a way that hate is not. Hate is a feeling idea. And I think I caught the last bit of the, the previous interview. It, it's, it's something which can be learned or possibly unlearned, whereas racism is structural. And hate is predicated on that structural inequality and injustice and can act upon it. We can't get rid of it unless we change that system. Um, in terms of fear of the other, um, again, yeah, I mean, fear is a reality. Sometimes fears are mobilized often by political campaigns and media campaigns. You know, the invasion of this country, the, in the context of France, the Great Replacement, um, which is a sort of, you know, very far-right, extreme idea that is, is, is very mainstreamed. Um, but, but fear alone doesn't, doesn't say too much because actually someone to take up arms and go attack a community is an, act, an assertion of power. It's not an expression of fear. And I think that's really important. No, 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 most definitely, definitely. And and we we would have loved to have you on for longer and speak about this in a bit more detail. Uh, Things such as um, why, when it comes to the media, attackers with an immigrant background increasingly get labeled as uh, terrorists, while white attackers are categorized as mentally ill, for instance. But uh, unfortunately, the the time has gotten the better of us and we're coming up to the nine o'clock news. Uh, But but, uh, whenever we discuss this uh, this issue or this topic again, we would love to have you on uh, again with us, uh, Dr. Winter. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, and we hope you have a wonderful day ahead. You too. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. That was Dr. Aaron Winter sharing his thoughts with us. Uh, He's a senior lecturer in sociology, uh, race and anti-racism at Lancaster University and his research is on the far right with a focus on racism, mainstreaming and violence. He's also the co-editor of uh, Discourses and Practices of Terrorism, Interrogating Terror and uh, many other pieces as well. Um... Uh, just coming towards the end of our show now, um, there is a, a verse of uh, the Holy Quran in which it states that surely all believers are brothers. So make peace between brothers and fear Allah that mercy be shown to you. <clears throat> and uh, in another uh, place, this is actually a saying, uh, a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And he said that, 
um, if you have a falling out with uh, with a brother, with a friend, um, then uh, three days is the max, right? Uh, you shouldn't be uh, that that hatred or that anger shouldn't be fueled for more than three days. So within those three days, you need to 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 um, sort of kiss and make up, right? You need to uh, get back on good terms. And this is what Islam teaches us. This um, Doctor Win- uh, Winter just mentioned as well that the difference between hatred and uh, racism. Racism is obviously uh, uh, steeped in, uh, uh, and, and hatred is something which can be a, 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 a sort of you, you can change isn't it yeah, and this is something it. that you need to bring about that change for because if you don't then of course this is very uh, detrimental to ourselves and the people around us as well so just a quick reminder of this verse of the holy quran that surely all believers are brothers so make peace between brothers and fear allah that mercy be shown to you um, and with that, we are coming to an end for today's show. Thank you all for listening and being a part of the show. Here's the 9 o'clock news.